You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Um, have you ever felt like God let you down? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like, I'm, you're, you're all nervous answering that question in a church, aren't you? Like, can I say yes to that question here? Well, we feel like, you know, life was supposed to turn out differently and it hasn't. And, and somehow we, we feel like maybe God's not maybe picking up his share of the load of this thing and where is he and why isn't he helping and um and we and then we open up the bible and we'll read about these heroes of faith that just like you just they're larger than life and you're like how i don't know how to do that um so we're going to talk about that and we're in a series called heroes unknown we're looking at the some lesser known heroes of the Bible, people that you probably maybe haven't even heard of or you just skip right over when you get to that page and you don't even think about them and, and what they can teach us and how we can relate to their stories and, and what that looks like and how we can, how we can um, have faith in God even while we feel disappointment with God. And so if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 24 and we're going to look at an amazing story that just kind of continues on with the story that we looked at last week. Um, we kind of see this disorienting disappointment in action. Um, last week, we looked at the thief on the cross. Uh, those of you that were here, you remember that uh, we just talked about how this, this, one of the thieves on the cross next to Jesus that was being crucified um, shows us how to, um, like, how to embrace Jesus in, the, in, in, the, in that moment and how much Jesus loves us and extends grace toward us um, in our worst moments. It's really amazing. And today we kind of continue in that same narrative with the women. Uh, we call them the women witnesses of the resurrection. And I love this story. Um, and by the way, the Bible is a story. If you think it's more than that, then you probably will miss some really important things in it. And the reason why it's, why it's important to understand the story is because a lot of times we like to kind of just take verses here and there and build like this idea about who God is and we miss the whole trajectory of scripture, the whole trajectory of the narrative of what God is trying to do with us, uh, frail humans. And so, um, and really we want you to see yourself in the story. The story isn't powerful until you're in it then it really like, oh, I see myself in that story. And so I want you to, like I, like I shared last week, I want, you to, I want you to bring yourself into this story. I want you to put yourself in the sandals of these women um, as we look at them. Luke 24, um, these women that we're gonna talk about were present um, at the crucifixion of Jesus. They actually followed Jesus um, the, on the road to uh, the crucifixion. Um, they, were all, they were just present. They were in the scene. Um, Jesus hanging on the cross, they were there um, with him um, all the way through. And then, and, and then we're gonna see that they followed the body of Jesus when, he, then, when they took the body of Jesus off the cross. They followed the body to the tomb where Jesus was laid to, just, to know where they put him, and, um, and we're going to look at why they did that. And so Luke 24. Now I can imagine as these women are following the body of Jesus as it's taken off the cross and brought to, a brought to this tomb, how disappointed they must have been. Think about that. Here's Jesus. Um, before his death, he is like amazing. He's healing people, raising people from the dead. He's loving them. He embraced women 
by the way, and the culture that, of, that they were lived in, nope, that wasn't normal to, to have a sense of equality and like empowerment and that Jesus did that with these women. And, and so they, they put their hope in him to be um, the Messiah, the son of God, the one that they knew would, that, that God sent to restore God's kingdom. They, they, they just were convinced that Jesus was that guy. And they followed him. And they were part of this ministry with him. So imagine that day when Jesus is taken in the middle of the night from the Garden of Gethsemane to be tried unfairly, unrighteously, matter of fact, and is condemned to die. Imagine, imagine that this person you put all your hope into is now being led. He has to carry his own cross. He's being led to this, the crucifixion. And there they, 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 they watch the one that they put all their hope into die, the worst kind of death. And it's like all their hope is gone. They have none. Zilch. They have no hope at all in Jesus. But it's interesting to me because they... They like keep showing up even. They like, they, they, they're just, they're there. They're there at the cross as he's hanging there. They, and they take him off the tomb and they walk to the tomb. Um, you know why they walked, they followed the body of the tomb is because they, um, they didn't have time before the Sabbath began to anoint the body for burial, which was a very important custom in the Jewish tradition. And so because you, you couldn't do any work on the Sabbath, they weren't able to do that before um, Jesus was buried. And so they, they wanted to know where they put the body so that they could come back after the Sabbath um, and anoint the body for burial. And so um, I can imagine them following, seeing where the tomb is, seeing the big old stone rolled across the tomb, probably wondering, oh, that's a problem. How are we going to get in? But they don't have time to figure that out, right? And so, so I, and then they, and I, I, can, I can picture all these women going to some, one of their houses and getting all the spices and anointment and all that, anointing all that oil, all that stuff together and putting it all together, getting it ready, weeping as they're doing it, wondering, how did this happen? What What happened? figuring out, you know, talking, strategizing, right, about how to get that stone, you know. Maybe we'll find a couple really big guys that can help us, you know, and what if we'll get arrested because Jesus was put to death as a criminal. And so this, we pick up this story in Luke 24, verse one, but very early on Sunday morning. Why, why does it say very early? Because I'm not sure these women slept and they were for sure gonna get up before the sun was up to get everything ready and to go to the tomb. The women went to the tomb very early on a Sunday morning, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. (laughs) Problem one taken care of. So they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And as they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were rightfully terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. And then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? And at that moment, they're like, "Uh, what? 
they were probably just wondering who took the body and where did they take the body because they had work to do. They had a job to do. They, they wanted to care for Jesus even in his death, right? And, and the angel says, well, he isn't here. He is risen from the dead. And then they say, remember, say remember. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the son of man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. And they're like, oh yeah, forgot about that. Then they remembered that he had said this, and so they rushed back from the tomb to tell the 11 disciples and everyone else, because was, there was more than just the 11 disciples, what had happened. And the, the women, this group of women, at least how Luke records it, there might have been more probably. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, who's also the Mary, mother of Jesus, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. Oh, what a moment! Imagine, right? Just like, I mean, just a swing of emotions. I mean, just like, they like, how is this possible? Like, what are these, I mean, these angels and like this. And so they tell the men, right? They're like, we were there. We, we went the stone. I, we're not sure how that would do. We walk in, there's these angels. And, and then they say this. And the men are probably like, what are you talking about? And, this, and we know that this is what happened, right? Because the story, verse 11, sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. <laughs> uh, what is it about men? What is it about us? We have a hard time believing women. Hmm. Our loss. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look and stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. So this desperation, disappointment, uncertainty, like how did Jesus die is turned into this shock, like what has happened? Let's go tell them. And then they tell them. And then the, the, then the guys who are locked away, hidden away are like, mm, that doesn't sound right to us. And they're like, no, no, the, the, there's angels. The body's not there. They told us. Do you remember that Jesus said that he would be crucified, but on the third day he would rise again. They're like, mm, it, sounds, it sounds a bit outlandish. And do we blame them? Put yourself in their shoes, right? They didn't get to go into the empty tomb. They didn't get to hear the angels. They didn't get to, 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 to see Jesus. They're just, they're like, we saw the last time we saw Jesus, we're trying to forget and we just, and we're not sure if we're next. We're not sure if the soldiers are coming to arrest us. And so they lock themselves away and I don't blame them. Because they were disappointed. Their world fell apart. But these women, I mean, it's amazing. In the midst of everyone else is scattered, everyone, nobody else believes the fans that were cheering for Jesus had stopped long ago, right? The crowds were gone. The women remained, whether it was at the feet of Jesus on the cross or whether it was going back to the tomb to show their respect and their love for Jesus, even though he had thoroughly let them down. And some of you are like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, he didn't. Yeah, because you know the end of the story. 
But there's a ton of time between, between where these women were at and the end of the story, and they didn't see the end when they were in the middle of it. And they, listen, I know this, they thoroughly felt that Jesus let them down, yet they chose to keep showing up. I think the men were, sus- are, were suspicious by nature what they saw, right? I think they, 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 they had a hard time wrapping their mind around it. A guy named Thomas in particular, we'll talk about him in just a moment. He really had a hard time believing that Jesus was alive, that the resurrection was true just, just from the, the, the testimony of these women, which by the way, most scholars believe that, that um, the story of the women witnesses that we just looked at is one of the clearest signs, proofs, that the resurrection is real. And the reason they believe that is that the, the, gospel, the gospel writers would not have put um, the testimony of a woman as proof. And you're like, well, that's sexist. And you're, and you're right. The, it is actually, the word of a woman was not even able to be used in court during these times as legal evidence. But yet the authors of the gospels write, they put in there. This is like, not only did they put the story of the women, but it's like front and center, they're the first ones to witness, to make witness of the resurrection of Jesus. It's amazing. But it just simply wasn't in these men's frame of reference that, that Jesus would die such a horrible death and then rise again, right? So don't we all struggle with belief at times? Don't we all struggle with like, when, when life doesn't work out, when we feel like Jesus maybe has disappointed us, we just, it's just, don't we all struggle at times with believing in this whole thing that we, that we talk about every week? And what about Peter? Peter's an interesting to me that he, so the women come back, they're all, they're all jacked up like, eh, this has happened. And their men are like, and Peter, I don't know if he snuck out or if he bolts out, or, but he leaves. He's going back to the tomb to see for himself. And then John um, also goes, and we, we don't learn this in Luke, we learn that in, in John, the Gospel of John, that John, that guy, wrote about himself, and he made mention that he was faster than Peter. He got to the tomb, he left later, but got there faster, sooner. He, may, he actually mentions that, important to note. Um, so we know that John was there, but what, what was going on in Peter's mind that caused him when all the other men are like, mm, I don't know, for him to jump up and go to the tomb? What does it say about him that he responded differently than the other disciples? I, I think sometimes we, sometimes just having a glimmer of hope is all we need to get through the day, isn't it? It's like, man, what if that's possible? Just a, just a chance can sometimes help you to get to that next step. And well, then this is kind of where Luke stops his recording, but John picks it up. And I want to finish up this story by reading John's account, a little bit of it at least. And, uh, and he talks about Mary uh, Magdalene. And so what, what um, most people believe is that Mary Magdalene, um, so the women visit the tomb, they see empty tomb, angels, all that, then they run, they go back, tell the men, Peter and John go back, um, and based on John's record, Mary probably also went back. 
And so she goes back to the tomb, and it said, John, this is John's record, verse 11, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in, and she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? And some of you are thinking, this already happened, so the records don't always, um, the timeline doesn't always match between the Gospels. Um, maybe this is the first you've heard of that. The reason is, is that um, Mark is probably the first Gospel that was written, and it was written 30 years after this has happened. The other Gospels, including John, is 50 to 60 years. And so they're just recollecting how things went. It's not like some, it was not like some rabbi was following the events as they happened, recording them, you know. They're going back on memory, like, okay, I think this is what happened in this, and I know Mary was there, and that kind of thing. And so John's record says, it highlights Mary Magdalene, who's back at the tomb, and the angels say, dear woman, why are you crying? And she says, because they have taken away my Lord. She didn't know who, what had happened to the body, and I don't know where they have put him. And so she turned to leave, and she saw someone standing there, and it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. And she, he says, dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? And she thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. And J Jesus said, Mary. And she turned to him and she recognizes, she cries out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher, teacher. And don't cling to me, Jesus said. Her immediate response was to grab onto him. It says so much about Jesus, doesn't it? It says so much about how he was with the people he lived with and walked with. And she grabs him and he says, don't cling to me for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, uh, but go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. Mary lingers. She goes back. She waits. She's probably wondering what's happened and if it could be true. And, and then she has this moment with Jesus. All of this for me, there's a couple of things that I think we can apply and, and learn from these women witnesses. The first thing is that so much of our life with Jesus is remembering and trusting what God tells us even when things look different than we expected. So much of Christianity is about remembering and trusting when things don't look like what we expected. Angels told the women, don't you remember what Jesus told you? Um, you know, when Jesus, before he left, Jesus told his friends that he would send his Holy Spirit to be with them and that the Holy Spirit would do a couple of really important things. One is that he would comfort them. Matter of fact, the word for Holy Spirit, one of the words Jesus uses is paraclete, which just simply means comforter, the one who comes alongside to comfort, to bring comfort, and the Holy Spirit does that work of comforting us in our grief, comforting us in our disappointment, comforting us um, when things don't work out the way that they, they, we think they should. So he comes to comfort us. He also comes to empower us. Um, Jesus said, wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you and then you, I, I will, you will be my witnesses. He, he empowers us to, to be his witnesses on this earth. He empowers us to live um, for him, to become more like him. And, but the Holy Spirit also reminds us of what he taught. Jesus said that I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit and he will bring to remembrance the things that I taught you. 
And that's still true today. Have you ever, have you ever been in a moment where you just, you just needed some wisdom and all of a sudden a scripture from your, like your childhood comes flying in your mind. You're like, where'd that come from? I haven't, I didn't memorize that one. I don't remember that one. And the Holy Spirit can bring things back to our memory. Uh, and some of my darkest nights, I, re- I remember um, recounting the faithfulness of God. I, th- I think about who he, who he has been to me and, and scriptures would come to my mind and to encourage me and the Holy Spirit would comfort me. I rem- it's just, it, he's present. The way that we remember and trust what God says, especially when things look different than what we expected, is by daily inviting the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, in those moments, in those dark moments when you're like unsure and like, what, God, what are you doing? I don't see you in this. Would you right then in that moment invite the Holy Spirit? Just say, Holy Spirit, would you come and fill me again? Comfort me, empower me, remind me. The second thing that I think we learn from the women witnesses is the person who has an experience is never at the mercy of the one who has a theory. These women witnessed the resurrection. They saw the empty tomb. They heard the angel's proclamation. And isn't it interesting that their experience wasn't enough for the disciples, the men disciples. Peter had to see for himself. And there's something powerful about that. I mean, Jesus said, I mean, better are you if you believe and you don't see. But the reality is, is that there's something about the tangibleness of our faith that causes it to be deepened in our hearts, where we know that we've experienced the presence of Jesus. We know that he's real. We know because we, we've, we've experienced him. We've connected with him. We've seen him, touched him, felt him. See, Mary had this experience, right? But remember, Thomas, he's in the room. He doesn't have that experience. He didn't have that experience. And so he's like, eh, I don't know about that. But then all the other people start, all the other disciples start having the experiences. And he's still, he's the holdout. And he's like, and he remember the, what he said? If, until I see the holes in his hands and his feet. I'm not sure I'll believe you guys. And so Jesus does that, gives him a gift, comes to him. And remember, he says, Thomas, right here. Just put your hand right here, bro. It happened, and I'm here, and I'm alive. Do you think Thomas ever doubted again? See, I think we need to lean in to services like this, to times in God's presence, in worship, to experience the presence of Jesus, to connect with him, to feel him, to meet with him. We can't leave our faith as just a cerebral outcome. We need to allow Jesus to to break through and we know that he is in the room. And we recognize that and we invite him into the space of our lives to, to connect with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And those of us that have had been faithful followers for decades, don't, don't, isn't it true that sometimes we just need a fresh experience of the grace of God, his presence, to sustain us, to keep us moving forward? You can't live someone else's story. You can't live someone else's experience with God. We need to enter into ourselves. We need to enter in with the women. We need to hear the voices of angels. We need to meet the resurrected Jesus in person. He's real. And the final thing that we learn 
in this story is keep showing up even when you feel disappointed. Keep showing up. And I'm not just talking about church. I'm talking about Jesus. It's tempting when we experience um, uncertainty and disappointment with God that in our culture in particular, it was so easy for us to tap out. It's like, I'm, okay, I'm done. I can't, no, he didn't come through. I'm not gonna keep putting my faith in him. And part of this thing called, uh, that, that Christianity is built around is like, I'm gonna keep pressing in even when I don't see, even when everything around me doesn't seem to be lining up. I'm gonna keep pressing in. I'm gonna keep showing up. I'm gonna keep following Jesus even if he's carrying a cross that I didn't think he should be carrying, even if he hangs on a cross that I didn't think he should hang on, even if he is buried in a tomb that I don't think he should be buried. I'm gonna keep following him. It reminds me of what Peter said, right? When Jesus did this hard saying about, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And, and, the, and he said this in a crowd and people that had been following him decided, to, oh, I'm out. I'm not eating you or drinking you, bro. I'm not gonna do that. They took it literally. And so they left. And Jesus turns to his friends and he says, are you gonna leave too? And Peter, in this moment, he says one of the most powerful things. He's like, um, where else would we go? No one else has the answers to life. No one else promises what you've promised. No one else has made the claims that you make. No one else has done what you've done. Where else would we go? We're gonna keep following you, Jesus. And even though Peter, the man who said that, would deny Jesus because of his crucifixion, because of his arrest and his crucifixion, chooses to come back and follow Jesus with his whole heart the rest of his life. Even when he was arrested. Even when he was put in jail. Even when he hung on a cross himself. He kept showing up, just like the women. They just kept showing up. Have you ever gotten a, a text or a phone call from someone that you didn't expect to get during one of those moments of crisis, during one of those moments of despair or uncertainty and just someone shows up or, or reaches out of, the, out of nowhere? I was minding my own business on Friday and one of my boys is going through a pretty tough time right now. And so it's just been really a season of real difficulty. And um, I got this random text um, from Corey Parnell. Some of you might remember Corey. He lives up in Portland now. And just this random text. Of, and he's just writing. This is so unlike Corey. I mean, not, this sounds bad that I say that. But it's just like all this gushy, emotional, like, I love you. And you've, how much I've met, I've met, you know, you've met to me and all this stuff. And it was just like, there's like this buoy. It's like, I just needed that. I needed to, I needed that. And it was unexpected, you know? And, and Corey in that moment showed up in my life. Sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need to be the people who do the showing up. And sometimes we need to be the one who receives the person showing up to just remind us. Pastor Ben, he still watches Lilo and Stitch. <laughs> That's because his kids do. He still has young kids, but it's just this cartoon. Some of you are like, Lilo and Stitch? It's this cartoon movie thing. 
They have a guiding principle, Ben told me, that family means nobody gets left behind. It's this determination that nothing is going to stop me from showing up. No matter what comes, no matter how disappointed I might be, no matter how disillusioned I get, I'm going to keep showing up, both with Jesus and with you and with one another. I'm gonna keep showing up in my community group. I'm gonna keep showing up in church. I'm gonna keep showing up with my friends. I'm not gonna bail. I'm not gonna tap out. I'm not going to isolate. I'm going to keep following Jesus. We're going to take, take some time to take communion today. And so if you were given the communion element, um, if you grabbed one when you came in, would you grab that? If you don't have this, uh, I know there's a couple, Pastor Dave and a few others might grab the uh, elements and just simply raise your hand if you didn't get one of these. And um, Pastor Cliff, Pastor Dave, they'll, they'll, they'll see you. Just keep your hand up. We're going to take some time as we finish up today. And Just be reminded of the, of the work of Jesus. In John chapter six, verse 32. Um, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Uh, Moses, didn't, um, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And, and Jesus is referencing when the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness and they, they, the way that they got food every day was that God would give them manna, bread from heaven. I mean, it literally would show up um, when they woke up. It was there. Uh, and, they would, and they would take it and they would eat and that's how they survived. And, and so Jesus is referencing that and he says, uh, my father, Moses didn't do this for you. My father did this for you. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, <laughs> they said what we would say, give us that bread every day. We'd like a little bit of that bread. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. As you take the bread, we're reminded, yes, of the death of Jesus but also the life of Jesus. That in this little wafer, physically inconsequential to our lives, but powerful in the spirit, where we digest the very death and resurrection of Jesus, we say we want to live according to your word. We want, we, we want to live according to your word. Life is in Jesus. That's where we find life. And so as you take this, would you remember that Jesus is life? Go ahead. Then in John 14, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. And then fast forward, verse 16 says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives 
with you now and later will be in you. So Jesus was prophesying that the Holy, when the Holy Spirit came, he would fill you, he would live in you and that he would never leave you. He knows he's preparing for his departure and he's letting his friends know, listen, I'm going to send the advocate, the paraclete, the comforter to come alongside you and to be in you. And so when I leave, I'm not leaving. I'm still gonna be there in the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I love this in verse 18 in that context. He says, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you in your uncertainty. I will come to you in your despair. I will come to you in your disappointment. I will be there with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. See, this cup represents the blood of Jesus, but what it does is it unites us to him. It's symbolic of his presence in us as we take it, but also his presence among us together. We are one body because of this communion, because of this practice, because we are, we are putting the bread and the, the body and the blood of Jesus in us together as one, and, and there's life here. There's hope here, and he will never leave us. So Jesus, we take this in your name.